Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. You cannot start better than that. Saved by grace. Amen? Amen. If this is the very first time for you to be here, we'd love for you to take the guest card in the pew in front of you and fill it out and drop it in the uh, offering boxes as you leave. We would certainly appreciate that because we'd like to acknowledge your being with us today. Thank you for having the smiles on your faces. We're looking forward to a continued time of worship and praise to God. Let's join together in prayer. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to come. We are grateful, we are thankful, and Father, we give you honor and praise and glory. And Father, today, I pray that you would impress upon our minds and our hearts how special and sacred each and every one of us are to you. And I pray that as we focus upon not only our worship songs, but Psalm 8, that God, that would become abundantly clear. Give us encouragement and strength and challenge today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. Would you stand as we worship together?
seated as we continue singing. When the oceans rise and thunders roar, I will sail with you, Lord, above the roar. I Good morning, everybody. Morris Goff is sick this morning, so I'll be praying in his place. So let's pray for Forrest. Let's pray together. Our Father, in this moment of silence, we have come to worship you. We have come to sing your praises. And Lord, listen to our pastors and lead us through your word. Lord, we just bless, we ask you to bless each one that's here. We ask you, Lord, to be with our sick and one that you are not able to come. So, Lord, as we go from this house today, we we just give you all the praise. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for caring for us. Lord, now bless us as we go through this service. So we say this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. From Psalm 139 we read, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows my name. i 
one more time. Good morning. Our scripture reading for today is Psalm 8, and please follow along with the Pew Bible or on the screens. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider the he heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all the flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <coughs> These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
How do we know that life is sacred? And why is life sacred? Debbie and I had the, uh, the privilege on Friday of taking care of all three of our grandchildren. And uh, it was all day long. And so Saturday was a, a wonderful Sabbath rest for us, for certain. <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed in engaging with those three, they are completely, totally different from each other. They are unique, they are special, they have their own personalities, and God's imprint is upon each and every one of them. This morning we talk about the question of why is human life sacred? Why do we work so hard to fight for life, to help people? This morning, one of our members um, had some kind of medical episode and uh, the fire department was called, the ambulance came, they were able to take them to, the, uh, to Del Webb and, and what really struck me was the class that this happened in, everyone gathered together. Some of those moved to the side, began to pray, others were right there with her, others were flagging down the emergency folks where they needed to come. And then you had uh, six firefighters and uh, EMTs coming in to help take that person to the hospital. And I thought to myself, it's a beautiful example of how we understand and know that human life is sacred because we do everything that we can to engage, to involve, to help, to do the very best to preserve life. We live in a time, unfortunately, where the value of life is somewhat from the unborn to the elderly devalued. We live in a time where there seems to be some people that are very callous. We saw that yesterday with um, a, um, a synagogue and a gunman taking, you know, uh, hostages. We we're thankful that everyone, other than the person who was holding them hostage, survived. We think about the missionaries I spoke of a couple of weeks ago, 17 of them, that God, through his divine mercies and their, uh, their very attuned nature, uh, preserved their lives in Haiti. We think about the school shootings that take place, the shootings that are taking place in malls, the, the loss of life. There's almost this sense of callousness that has come over a certain segment of our society where we've lost something that is very, very important. You turn on the television, you hear these things, and they're senseless. And for most of us, I'm going to say all of us in this room, we don't understand that. It's because there's something that we know down deep in our heart and our mind. But we still have to beg the question, is there anything about human life that separates it from all other forms of animal life? Are human beings just another yet more sophisticated form of animal life? If you look at some aspects of what I've just shared, you would say there's just not much difference at all. But I believe that Psalm 8 gives the insight into both the nature of human life and into the things that make humans sacred. I think it presents three facets of the human life that distinguish it from all other forms of animal life on earth. And I want to talk about those in the minutes that we have. First, human life is sacred because it's special. Would you mind doing me a favor and just turn to the person next to you and say, you are special. Could you do that? <laughs> Some of you obviously are more special than others. Because <laughs> you're just continuing to, uh, to heap honor and praise. <laughs> the 
The psalmist said in verses 3 and 4, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Here the psalmist raises the question, What is man that you are mindful of him? The word mindful in the Hebrew is actually remembers, that you remember man. He uses the term here that's a generic term for all humanity, Enosh. It means mortal man. Why, why is he even concerned about mortal man? And then there's a second term for humankind that was used in the phrase, the son of man, or literally the son of the earth, which is the Hebrew word Adam, which we get the word Adam from. That word is a reminder that humans were made by God from the dust of the earth. Reflection in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 when the scripture says then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him the, into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. The psalmist wondered why is it that God would be concerned about human beings who were frail, who were mortal, humble creatures made from the very dust of the ground. Why would God be concerned about a cosmic speck like you and me? And in these two words where he describes mortal men from the dust of the ground lies the key to understanding why God cares for human beings. God made human beings in his likeness, mortal and physical with a spiritual dimension. Human beings have three unique features that distinguish them from the rest of God's creation. Humans are the only creatures which God made in his own image. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the scripture says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This image is reflected in the physical appearance of human beings. You see, God is a spirit being. He and all other spirit beings in Scripture have a discernible form. If you look at, uh, at Genesis 18 and Judges chapter 13 and Daniel chapter 10, you see that God's image as a spiritual, moral, immortal being is stamped on every single human being. Even after the fall, humans continued to bear his image. Genesis 9, 6 said, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. That image continues. Also, it tells us that humans were the only creatures personally formed by God. Again, in Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Everything else that God created was by divine command. But humans were created by the personal creative work of God. God formed formed man out of the dust of the ground. And third, we find that only humans were inbreathed with the breath of divine inspiration and breathed into him, into his nostrils, the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. That divine inspiration made humans the only creatures who were spiritual, physical beings. There's no other part of creation that is. It's the only creation of God 
that he breathed the breath of life into. God obviously did something unique in his creation of human beings. If you go to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you find that it further emphasizes the special nature of humans by presenting two different yet complementary views of the creation of humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, it shows God's development of the creative order, including human beings as the crown jewel of his creation. And in Genesis chapter 2, it presents human beings as the central focus of God's attention. If you look at verse 18 and following, you find that God gave spiritual advice and insight to no other creature except human beings. He confided. He shared. He gave insight. And he gave authority over all other creation. So in summary, we find that human life is different from that of any other creature because only humans are special, a special creative work of God with a capacity for spiritual communication, fellowship, and worship with Almighty God. Secondly, we find that human life is sacred because it is a singular creative work of God. If you look at the Hebrew text of, uh, of Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5, you find that it says that you have made him a little lower than God. It's a reference to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 where God made man in his own image. So compared to the rest of animate and inanimate creation, humans are on a higher plane. In fact, they're given the attributes in verse 5, as it says, of glory and honor. It says, you have made him a little lower than, than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Those are attributes that were only for the almighty God. And yet, finite humans, he has given that to us while we're still clearly as finite nowhere near the level of God. But all of the rest of creation is below us. When we think about God's singular creative work, we come to realize that each one of us is a singular creative work of God. The whole human family bears witness that every single life Every single life is a singular, unique work of God. You look around, you are not like anyone else. You might have been married to the same person for 60 years, but you know what? There are still differences between you two. God does not make duplicates. He does not clone us. Esther was one of a kind who had a great opportunity to serve others, and she came to the kingdom for such a time as this. Jeremiah was given his assignment as prophet of Almighty God before his birth. God had a plan for his life, and he's got a plan for each and every one of us. And it's a plan for us to fulfill, a purpose for us to accomplish. And nobody else can accomplish your task. The task can be accomplished, but not what you are assigned to. Every life is a singular, separate, unique, important to God. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 7 and 8 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Isn't that interesting? Even years down the line beyond Genesis, it talked about forming man for a very special purpose. 
Isaiah said in Isaiah 49.1, Listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. God has a plan. The old adage is true that no one can do your God-given assignment. Now, God's will will be accomplished. He will get it accomplished by other means, but you'll miss that incredible blessing if you don't fulfill what God desires. But what's more important is that God has given you that assignment as a creation of his. He has given you that unique, important work. You are important. And he created you in that unique, singular fashion so that you could accomplish the desire of his heart. What one person does affects others for the good or for the evil with consequences that continue on to the third and fourth generations. Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Scripture says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And again in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. I always wonder what that means. It means the sins of the generation, the parents. It has effects for generations to come. There is no way to adequately measure the moral and spiritual deficit of 60 million aborted lives since 1973. There is a void of God having a purpose for so many. In 2020, there were 21,570 murders in our nation. That was 5,000 more than 2019. It was a 30% increase, which is the greatest increase in more than six decades. Just the loss of life, the lack of looking at someone and seeing that they are a creative work of God and sacred. Think about elder abuse. Elder abuse could be physical, emotional, financial, sexual. It is estimated from the research that has been done that one in ten seniors that are 65 years or older have had at least one or more instances of elder abuse in the areas that I've mentioned. For us, that would be somewhere between five and six million across our nation each and every year. When there seems to be a callousness, there is a spiritual vacuum. And that spiritual vacuum is felt for generations to come. <coughs> and I think it's a sober reminder to each of us that each and every person has a place in God's work that nobody else can fill. And we must fulfill it, and we must stand up strong, and we must defend it every step along the way. Human life is sacred before God. It is special, and it is a singular creative work. And third, I think the scripture tells us that human life is sacred because it is a stewardship from God. In verses 6 through 8 of Psalm 8, 
The psalmist said, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. We find in this passage that God made human beings the highest order of life and gave them authority over all of creation. I think this rule or dominion, as expressed in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, is a vested authority. When God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image and the likeness so that he may rule over, it gives this idea that it is a stewardship. Human beings are stewards of this creation and not owners of this creation. God owns everything. And that means not only human life, but it also means our environment. We are to take in every way we possibly can the authority of the stewardship to make sure that we take care of God's creation. And so I think it's very important for us to understand that if we're the stewards and not the owners, which includes our own life without regard for God or others, then we must realize that we are accountable to him. No one exempt is exempt from the responsibility for the choices that we make in life. We are responsible. The individual responsibility is key. Everyone is going to be held accountable for those choices. And so it's important for us to choose wisely. It's important for us to, to stand firm and say, listen, if, if human life is sacred, then we need to stand for human life. And we need to stand strong and, and vocally. And we need to be engaged and involved. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul said, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so we need to do everything that we can to honor God with our bodies. There's a lot to unpack there that we'll not do today. And all of us could do a little better job in, in a lot of areas when it's in relation to our bodies. But we have to understand that we are given a stewardship, and we've got to be accountable for that. Again, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in this body for the good or for the bad and so we have that coming forward not something to be afraid of we strive to do the very compassionate the god focused life of communicating the gospel of living a life that is right and set apart for God and showing compassionate care for others and standing for those who cannot stand for themselves. Every life is a sacred trust of God. You leave out the accountability to God and the sacredness of human life is compromised. If you don't have any focus or accountability saying that I'm going to have to stand before God in some time, in some way, that I'll just, uh, I'll just disappear from this life, or you know what, I think I probably know what's best, then all of a sudden things begin to change. Because then we become, as human beings, no more than any other animal on earth without knowledge of their responsibility to God. We can see this trend in our culture. I've described some of it, but some of the symptoms 
that we have seen over the last 50, 60 years would certainly open our eyes. Symptoms such as loss of divine perspective are things like violence and crime, loss of human rights, sexual permissiveness and perversions, abortion, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, euthanasia, and I could continue on with the list of things that when we don't feel like that we have a responsibility and that we're going to have to answer before Almighty God, then you know what? All of a sudden, I become the judge of what's right and wrong. And when I become the judge of what's right and wrong, then it's whatever I choose. It's, it's what I feel for the day. That creates a major difficulty. Because as human beings, we do not have the ability to do that. That's why God created. And that's why not only did God create, but God so loved. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He wanted us to understand that not a one of us are perfect. We come to a place where we realize that we are special and we are a singularly creative work of God. And we have a stewardship to be faithful to God. And when we err, his arms are open wide if we will realize it. And he welcomes us back in and says, I love you unconditionally. And it transforms us. It changes us. It changes us to where now we take on a God perspective because we have his image. And if we have his image, we take on his perspective on things. And all of a sudden, people become important to us again. The compassionate care and standing for those that have no voice it matters to us. And so, these are not really our bodies. He says, you're bought with a price. We don't own them. We're the steward of this body, of our minds, of our heart. And what he wants us to do is live a life set apart for him. God is the author of human life. Human life from conception to the final breath is a stewardship. And I think that we ought to be the standard bearers. As we focus on this sanctity of human life where we say, you know what, every single life is valued. We're going to stand beside it. And we come to a place where we realize, you know what, our commitment to Jesus Christ takes everything. And we don't try to rationalize various thoughts. We just get into the scripture and say, you know what? This is what he loves. And he loves us. So every single life is that special work of God. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter how much money that you have. It doesn't matter how much you have worked hard all your life. What matters is that God made you special. And what matters is he made the person next to you special. The person who lives next door to you, they're special. The people that live around the globe from you, they are special. And God wants them to hear that message. We have the privilege of knowing it. And so when we realize that we're special and we realize that we are a singular one-of-a-kind work for God, and we realize that we have this stewardship, then the only hope for humanity is for us to live that out. The only hope for us is to restore the sanctity and the dignity of human life around the world. And it starts with a proper relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And then my question to you this morning is, do you have that relationship?
And I'm going to say probably 99% of you do. There might be some that don't. But today would be a day that you might say, yes, I want Christ to come in my life. I know that I'm created special because I couldn't do all the things that I did without God in my life. So my question, not only about your relationship, but are you living the stewardship life? And I'm not talking about financial stewardship. I'm talking about seeing people as special works of God and a willingness to get out of your comfort zone and come beside them. If they need somebody to talk to, if they need somebody to, to help with, if you want to volunteer at, at the New Life Pregnancy Center, if you want to volunteer as a, as a counselor or to, to just talk with people that are lonely and isolated, but to have that compassion and say, God wants to use me. And you know what? I'm one of his. I'm a special work. And he has given me that calling, and I'm going to invest. And as I invest in the lives of others, I'm going to share the good news of Christ because that's the unconditional love that changed my life forever. And I'd like for you to make that commitment today. And our invitation is God leads you for whatever. As we're praying, as we're singing in a few moments, you and God make that decision. If today's a day for a public decision or to join this church, we welcome you. Because God with his arms open wide, says, I made you, I formed you, my image is on you, and I love you. Father, as we go into our time of invitation, I pray we would make a commitment to stand firm, to be compassionate, and to fulfill our stewardship, and to rise to the occasion to look at every life as sacred, Help us to fulfill our one-of-a-kind calling. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand and let's sing our invitation. I have decided to follow Jesus. seated for just a moment please and I uh, I want to thank uh, Dr. Marty uh, for filling in our pulpit last Sunday on kind of a spur of the moment uh, Dr. Marty great job and I do appreciate that very very much Deb and I appreciate uh, many prayers uh, we have some things to talk about we do indeed exactly one year ago today January 16th of 2021 God saw fit to call home one of his most faithful servants, Jim Crunk. Yes, we miss him daily. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Debbie in memory and loving honor of Jim. Thank you, Debbie. Choir rehearsal. If you would like to be part of the Easter musical, a week from this Wednesday at 2.45, we will be kicking off the Easter musical 
No, it's not too early because April the 10th is when we will be singing the Easter musical. So if you are interested in being part of that, talk to me, call me this week, but sometime after tomorrow because the church office is closed tomorrow. You will see all of the things happening this week, the calendar on the back of the bulletin, some more information about different ministries and activities. There are sign-up sheets still in both the breezeway and in the main lobby for both the women's Bible study and the men's Bible study, both of which will start on Thursday at 10 o'clock. And then a week from this Thursday at 12.30 will be the monthly movie matinee lunch. If you are planning to be part of the lunch, you need to let us know you are coming. If you want to come to just the movie, you don't need to sign up. But we want to make sure that we have enough food if you are planning to come for the lunch. And it is $5 charge. A few years ago today, someone very special was born. That special person, all of you, but today we're especially celebrating someone in the sound booth who will not speak to me again, I'm sure, because he's hiding his face. We're going to sing happy birthday to Carol Swinney, who is our media tech. <laughs> I wished her happy birthday earlier, and she said, not until 11 something tonight. I said, I'm not getting back up to call. So we're gonna sing happy birthday now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. And at 11.30 tonight, remember we've already sung to you. <laughs> Phil McKenna is going to come and lead us in our closing prayer as we stand. Church, would you bow your heads in prayer and join me? Heavenly Father, I want to emphasize two words in our closing prayer. They're the same two words that Pastor Kennedy used in his opening prayer. Thank you. Very important two words. We have so much to thank you for. The ability to come to a church without persecution, to worship Jesus, to enjoy the sermon, the musical portion of our worship. All of these are blessings that you bestow on us, and we, we really want to emphasize those two words. Thank you. As we go forth this week, help us to be good listeners. We always pray to you. We always listen and try to hear your answer to the prayer. Whether we understand it or not, we just need to become good listeners so that we can become better Christians and worship Jesus. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.